to me podcast. This is uh, season one with some um, basics of anatomy. And um, this is now episode three. And in episode three, we're gonna discuss together with my dear friend Pete, who is here with me. Hello, Sebastian. Hey, Pete. And we're gonna actually discuss what anatomists are doing all day long. Because I got this question so many times frequently from you, and I hear that all the time from colleagues all over the world when they try to envision what I'm doing all day. It's always, yeah, you're dissecting all day, you're all day in the lab, interacting all day with body donors, right? I mean, you even asked me that question one of the first times we met and worked together. Yeah, I wanted to know what you did and and mostly because it, it seemed like dissecting took a really long time so that must be most of what you do every day <laughs> yeah and no i'm not dissecting all day actually i'm um i'm actually very rarely in the lab i'm most of the time in my office and um and most of the time I'm, yeah, I'm actually working on research projects. Is that mostly because of the COVID restrictions and? No, no, not at all. I mean, it was even before, uh, before the COVID pandemic came and there had to be some specific COVID um, restrictions or COVID protective measures to be implemented. But um, no, it was also like this before the pandemic because the um, the life of an anatomist um is not like when you when you, that you think like oh it's a it's an old grumpy man walking through dark sinister hallways and always interacting with dead people having no social skills always looking crazy and weird and grumpy and always yeah, afraid of getting close to these people i mean this was kind of the image that sometimes people tell me yeah this is what anatomy looks like this is how an anatomist is but so for you it's just the grumpy and crazy looking <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah just a grumpy yeah well sometimes i mean i think i think everybody has that at some point you know sometimes you have a crazy hair day except you you don't have a crazy hair day no i have ensured that i don't have those anymore <laughs> yeah. um, here for the audience to say uh pete has a very very short haircut if i would have to measure it would be less than one millimeters hair length shaved <laughs> so um what is an anatomist doing all day i think i think the the term anatomist, I think we elaborated this in episode one, is um, is actually someone who who educates, but also does research and also someone who helps clinicians to advanced clinical practice. And most of my day, I mean, I'm just speaking now personally what most of my days look like. I'm actually most of my day is um, is doing research, um, looking at data understanding data, playing with statistics, which I really enjoy, and then um, putting all of these data into 
a Word document and then compiling a manuscript, which at some point results into the submission to a scientific journal, which then results into a publication. And um, these days, and I think like it is for every researcher, it is um, publish or perish. And most researchers have to have a certain quota of papers per year. Those who have not such a quota, lucky you guys, those who have, like in my case, well, we have to work to obtain those things. And and the research itself, it's not only, oh, I have data and then let's write the paper and then it's published and then it's accepted and everything's fine. No, no, no. I mean, the first thing that happens is um, you need to come up with an idea that no one had before because this is research. Or you have to have a question that no one previously addressed. So for this, you need to look into the literature and see what has been done on that specific topic. So if you find out that no one really looked at it and there is a knowledge gap, then you can say, well, let's plan a research project. And the next steps, you need to find the right collaborators. You need to apply for IRB approval. You need to look what is possible. And if you don't have the respective methodology, you need to find collaborators who have that methodology. And once you have all of this, you have everything done, you need to write the analyzer proposal. And that also takes a while because this is kind of to stay in anatomical terms, the skeleton of every research project. You have the analyzer proposal and then um, you start the research project, you do data collection and sometimes it takes forever to collect the data. For instance, the current research project that I'm doing, I'm, I'm working on this research project since 2019 and because of the availability of specific body donors that are needed for that specific project, it's advancing very, very slow. So it takes a quite a while. But outside of all that, with that many researchers and that much IQ behind your research projects, wouldn't that be relatively easy and, and quick? Well, sometimes it is easy and quick. I have to admit that sometimes the turnaround is very quick and especially because I have wonderful collaborators and colleagues around the world. Really, guys, thank you. Thank you very much for your continuous support and collaboration. Um, all of my collaborators around the world, they have amazing questions. And sometimes they already have amazing data. And they just ask me, hey, how I can understand this data? Can you make something out of this? And then um, together with my team in Munich, we look at the data and then we compile and help those researchers. And of course, we then support them in writing the Word document, doing the figures, and then during the publication process. So we, so we help them. It's always a collaborative effort. And even if very frequently I tell my research group, research is not a democracy because there's a principal investigator and there's one certain direction that needs to be followed. It's always a collaborative effort. Research does not happen alone. It never happens alone. I mean, at least for, for me, in my case, it never happens alone. And I'm very thankful for that input of all of my collaborators around the world who helped me to succeed and to advance this field. So this is one part. I mean, this is research which I'm most of the time doing during the day. And then um, sometimes and he does a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, so much. Uh, yeah, I mean, as I said, it's publish or perish. You know, it's kind of you just have to go for it. So that's one part, and the other part um, is, of course, education. And education, of course, my students at my institution, where I'm um, 
where I'm teaching students of various medical professions and um, from various fields. Um, I love working with them and um, I love helping them succeed in their mission to becoming um, experts in the field. This is also a part, and this includes, um, for instance, to giving PowerPoint presentations, either in person or via Zoom these days or via other modalities. And for this, you need to have PowerPoint presentations. So these PowerPoint presentations need to be made and need to be updated. So you need to have kind of certain images, a certain story that you want to tell, and you need to compile it. And it also takes a while to make a PowerPoint presentation. I mean, for instance, for students, when they see a professor with a PowerPoint presentation and they see just a slide and that slide is being explained in one or two minutes, sometimes it takes hours to create that slide. Yes. In the media world, content is king. In my old job, doing PowerPoint presentations for people, I will say that back in the dark days, I would work for physicians who had PowerPoint slides on 35 millimeter projector slides, and they would carry around boxes and boxes of them as their most prized Pokemon cards because it was a lifetime's worth of work and you don't realize educators and professors and surgeons show you this one slide and you don't realize that it is incredibly profound or pivotal and this one slide of theirs changed the course of medicine or created some new surgical technique or something and and how now with everything digital we just throw all this around like it's nothing but when stuff had to be put on physical media uh, you could always tell what the doctor's most valuable slides were because they were the most tattered or they had duplicated them a hundred times to always ensure that they never lost it <laughs> yeah oh my god i think when i started medical school um the not in my first year but in my second year professors started to use powerpoint but before that they used slides that they projected and um I think I think it's it's incredible how the advancement is made, and of course now these days with all of this augmented and virtual reality and these other funky features that we have, I think it's it's great. But content, as you said, is is so important having the right content and bringing that over, and also portionalizing and explaining that content to the student. That's so pivotal when it comes to educating um, colleagues and, and and students on these respective aspects. And um and yeah and that is um another part of my um of my daily life is um giving lectures and sometimes of course these lectures don't don't not only go to students but sometimes um it also goes to colleagues around the world and sometimes I even have to get up at three or four a.m. in the morning because of the time zone difference because I have to give a lecture to Singapore or to parts of Asia or to parts of Europe where the time difference is seven or eight hours. And um, and this also involves, well, you know, I mean, in the morning when you when it's five or six a.m., you're not really ready for giving a presentation, but you still have to have to do it because for other people, they're looking forward to this. Um, it's a highlight of their day. And of course, I want to um, fulfill the expectations of providing the best performance I can for every and in every lecture that I have. So that's another part kind of giving lectures and educating. And um, another part um, is, of course, doing administrative work sometimes because in, in specific roles 
and um, responsibilities that you have, you also need to take care of these aspects. You need to interact with colleagues and co-workers, guide them on the mission, support them, or sometimes you need to adjust some directions in which some things run. Well, it's also... It's also a good thing to learn how to interact and to respect and to support other people because it's not only kind of supporting physicians on the professional, how to say, external path, but also on the internal aspect in the field. It's it's important to support. And um, I really like that. I really like interacting with people. But unfortunately, in these days of the pandemic, a lot has um, moved to online and virtual and to home office. And the personal interaction is really sometimes that I'm I'm um, I'm missing sometimes I have to admit that the ideas and the collaborations that we would come up with over lunch breaks or just random conversations yeah exactly uh, is really the the loss that dynamic isn't quite the same over zoom yeah that is true that is absolutely true so and um what most people think actually that I'm being in a lab is actually one of the least things that I do during my day or during the week or during the month because sometimes there are months where I do not see a body donor because it's just not what it is. I'm just not having to dissect and to educate on a donor because I do this virtually um, or for instance when I don't give classes which I normally do on the weekends um, when I'm traveling I'm Sometimes I just dissect during the weekends and on the classes. So that means when I'm dissecting, I'm most of the times, actually almost 99% of the time when I'm dissecting these days, and this happens since the last three or four years, I'm dissecting for others. I'm not dissecting for research projects, for my research project. I'm not dissecting for myself to investigate some specific features. I'm just dissecting for visualizing structures for others to learn. But um, in, in the beginning of my career, I mean, in the past years and years and years ago, when, um, when I started dissecting, it was the curiosity that was driving me. I was really curious about how is this structure? How is this? What happens when I'm doing this dissection approach? Or what happens when I'm doing the other dissection approach? Is this beneficial? Is this other thing more beneficial? And this is how we came up with the different dissection approaches that I currently have with the, the specific 90 degrees flaps or with the lateral orbital um, dissection approach or with the specific other aspects which just throughout the years have evolved and provided with good visualization and with good educational possibilities for learners. But these days I don't do that anymore. It's kind of like my time has shifted towards totally other things and i have to admit i missed that i missed that but if we speak about missing certain things the thing that i miss most and i have to admit that is um my time in trauma surgery being in the emergency room being in the or doing clinical cases i really miss that but um this is kind of on this is kind of not what i do anymore because i totally shifted careers now from my previous career as trauma surgeon to becoming and being an anatomist it's the transition that happens but i mean the same thing trans transitions happens to you pete right i mean sometimes we just transition from one thing to the other somebody who's interested maybe in going into anatomy what would you suggest are the best avenues to do that yeah um 
as usual, there are multiple ways to obtain this, but um, for um, future anatomists, I think um, the the way to do so, if someone is really truly interested in anatomy, of course, I mean, it's always important to collaborate with anatomists to see what they're doing, to maybe even do an internship, to shadow, and um, to just get their hands into the field i mean literally speaking because this kind of improves their skill and improves their understanding because sometimes if people just think this is how anatomy looks like but then they truly do it and say oh this is not really what i wanted then it's great because that also shaped their decision but if they really like it then everybody is glad because then there is a new anatomist in a field and which helps to advance medical education research and clinical practice so this is always good and for people who are not anatomists and not looking for for this career i think um to get into touch with anatomy is important which means doing hands-on courses is important and i don't say well come to my courses no not at all i mean there are a lot of good and great courses out there and people can learn from the anatomy how the clinical practice can be advanced and i think one course is never enough i mean people who attended one anatomy course they realize and unfortunately only then they realize how valuable anatomy is and how much anatomy can guide clinical practice and then the logic consequences to do more anatomy courses because every time you go to an anatomy course you listen to some anatomy lectures you increase the understanding you increase the mental image of anatomy then that helps to guide towards safer and um better outcomes i would um i would encourage the audience um guys really do one anatomy course and you will see how interesting and how amazing this experience is apart from the fact that you really get to learn from body donors for which we're very grateful and thankful that we're all able to learn from but um yeah i think that described actually my day my regular day what we are doing or i am i doing at least um on a daily basis and um that i'm not that typical anatomy anatomist that is um old and grumpy and walking down the hallways and dissecting all day in dark sinister rooms i mean that is just not the case modern anatomy is totally different and i'm glad to be one of those more modern anatomists who help to advance clinical practice by being really a part of clinical practice i mean this is just this is a this is a part of my passion this is really a part of my passion and i think everybody who has passion um um can transmit that to others and then the others can feel that if someone's truly passionate about the job or not so um i think with this we reached the end of um today's episode which is actually focusing on what is an anatomist doing all day and um i would like to thank pete for being with me here today thank you and i would like to thank the audience for being with us as well and if you guys have any questions please feel free to send them to the portal codeofanatomy.com and then we will be happy to address this in the future podcasts and thank you very much for your attention